Grace to you and peace from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Before we go any further this evening, I'm going to give you another minute or so to, um, to pray, this time uh, suggesting that you ask the Lord to open your hearts to what it is that he would like you to hear this evening. So, of course, what we need to hear is God's Word, and and, uh, God's Word is the basis of our message this evening from our epistle lesson. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he himself is pure. This is our text. Did you know there's a a place in the United States where people can search for diamonds and keep any that they find. If you want to do that, it'll cost you 10 bucks, $5 if you're ages 6 to 12, to search for the whole day, which probably gives you an idea of what your odds are of finding a diamond that's really worth anything. Although that has happened, the largest diamond ever discovered here was in 1924, and it weighed just over 40 carats. Another diamond, a little bit smaller, weighed 4.25 carats. Hillary Clinton wore that at her husband's presidential inaugural galas in 1993 and 1997. And the most perfect cut diamond that the American Gem Society has ever certified was also found there. Here's what a perfect diamond looks like. Ladies, that'd look pretty good on your finger, wouldn't it? Now, if you want to, you can research more about this um, at the website for Crater of Diamond State Park, which is located in Arkansas. Well, I discovered all of this while looking for pictures of diamonds in the rough, which, of course, is the title for our message tonight. And my premise is that in many ways, Christians could be considered diamonds in the rough. I list three ways in your sermon outline. I encourage you to to follow along in there this evening. We're going to think about, uh, from our text, how Christians are diamonds in the rough in at least three ways. First, we are different from our surroundings. Second, we are under development still. And thirdly, we will become dazzling. Before looking online, I wasn't sure what a diamond in the rough looked like. 
when it's in the ground or, or when it's first taken out of the mine. But, but even someone with my limited knowledge could figure out that, that a diamond is in for some dramatic changes from the time it's first taken out of the mine or the ground until it ends up all, all shiny in the jeweler's display case. Its appearance has changed drastically through that process. And yet, even when it was still in the ground, before it was cut and polished, the diamond must have been different from the earth and the rocks surrounding it, or it would never have been recognized and mined. It's different. And so are we. That is St. John's point when he says that the world does not know us. Now, obviously, that does not mean that unbelievers don't know our name or who we are. What it does mean is that the world does not recognize us as one of its own. That's because we are to be different from our surroundings, different from the sinful world which lives only for itself and for all the pleasures that this life has to offer. And we've been different from the day of our baptism. Now, this is where the analogy with the diamonds, uh, I think, begins to to break down some because uh, we're different from the day of our, our baptism, not the day of our birth. As infants just out of the womb, we were covered with the sin that's the scourge of of every human being, and and we were subject to the same sinful impulses and desires as anybody else. And we had no way to overcome that until Christ entered our hearts through the faith that was given to us in baptism. In this sacrament, the the guilt of our sin is washed away, and and we become children of God. That's when we became different on the day of our baptism. Although, actually, I think the analogy still works pretty well because a diamond wasn't always a diamond either. It started out as a piece of carbon of some kind that that over time and by natural processes became a diamond. Likewise, we were not always children of God. The difference is that we would never have become children of God by natural processes. It took a supernatural process, the death of Jesus, to accomplish that. It took the miracle of faith given to us in baptism and and through the gospel message of God's love for us in Jesus Christ. That made us God's children, which is what we are. That's what St. John says. We are God's children now. We're not just called his children, we actually are. You know, I could call my 2003 Trailblazer a 2018 BMW. That wouldn't make it a Beamer. I could wash it and, and wax it and, and uh, fix some of the, the, the dings in the, the paint job, but none of those things would make that old Chevy a new Beamer. When God calls us his children in baptism, though, we actually become that. A transformation takes place, one that's even more miraculous than if my SUV did become a a luxury sports car. A change even more dramatic than than a lump of coal becoming a diamond. It's the, the transformation 
from being children of Satan to being children of God. That's what has happened to us. We are God's children now. Too bad we don't always act that way. Wouldn't you agree? What a shame that we who are God's children aren't always so very different from those who are not. You know as well as I do that unbelievers aren't the only ones who commit immoral and and selfish acts, who ignore what, what God says is right or wrong. You've seen it in yourself and other Christians just as I have. You know, it won't work for me to stand in this big pulpit and and talk about how terrible the world is out there and you sit in your comfortable pews and say, yeah, preacher, let them have it. And then we all agree that that the world is an evil place. John says the world does not know us. But I would say to you that there are times when the world most certainly does know us and loves us and would welcome us as one of its own. Times when we're no different from anybody else but blend chameleon-like into our habitat. Like diamonds in the rough, we are to be noticeably different from our surroundings. It's not always the case. But that's because we're not finished yet. We're still developing. Martin Luther helps us out here. He said, the Christian is always in the process of becoming. We're not done yet. We haven't arrived. Luther also said, this life is not a being holy, but a becoming holy. The end has not been reached, but we are on the way that leads to it. We are diamonds in the rough. We still need a lot of polishing, and that's a lifelong process, which is what our year of discipleship is about. It's it's about inviting God to work on us, to polish us up. We've been thinking about how God works on us in worship, through Bible study and personal devotions, and, and this month in prayer. We're not finished yet. We are still under development. That's an admonition to grow in Christ, to keep on growing. It's also a a gentle reminder that we need to learn the art of being patient with others and with ourselves. We are in the process of becoming, but we're not there yet. God is still working on us, and he's not finished with us yet. These things take time. And I'm sure there are other cliches uh, that I could use, but that's probably enough. But they're all true, aren't they? We are not without sin, and neither are the people sitting next to you or behind you or in front of you in these pews. Sometimes we get so frustrated with ourselves and, and our shortcomings Sometimes we get so frustrated with other people. Why can't they act like Christians? 
we want to know. But they are acting like Christians, like people who sometimes sin and at all times are in need of forgiveness for their sin. But we can't just leave it there, and sometimes I think we do, but but we can't, especially tonight, because uh, John won't let us. A little bit further on in our uh, reading for tonight, he lets us know that Christians are also people who want to leave our sinning behind us. The apostle tells us anybody who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. And a couple verses later he adds, no one who abides in Jesus keeps on sinning. Well, that does not mean, it cannot mean, that if we sin, we're not saved. Otherwise, nobody is saved. The key is anybody who makes a practice of sinning. I like the way one commentator translates this verse. He says, he translates it this way, everyone who lives for the sake of sin. Well, that helps. It's not, do I still sin? Which, of course, we all do. Rather, the question is, why do I still sin? If the answer is, because I like it, because I don't want to stop, then we need to ask ourselves why a child of God would have that kind of attitude, would want to go against our Father's will. So I don't want to say that that sinning means we're not really children of God, but I also don't want to say that sinning is okay for children of God. What I do want to say is this. While we never excuse sin in ourselves or in others, we do seek to be patient with the sinner. Jesus was. He still is. He patiently bore three years of of doubts and fears and, and misunderstandings by his disciples. He forgave them. He bore their sins and ours on the cross. And ever since then, He's been forgiving the sins of of all who return to him and seek his pardon for our wrongs. I want to transition from point number two to number three in your outline by doing a quick review of the events of Easter as they are told to us by Luke. Luke's the one who wrote the gospel that our uh, gospel reading is from. He also wrote the book of Acts, and that was what our first lesson uh, came from. The, uh, the, the reading in the gospel, the events there, took place on the evening of Easter. And in the book of Acts, in chapter 3, took place uh, just after Pentecost. So notice the chronology here and how slow the disciples were in their faith development. We're, just, we're not even going to start on Monday, Thursday. We're just going to start on Easter. The very first thing that Luke records for us that happened on Easter is the resurrection of Jesus. But the next thing he tells us about the women who went to the tomb and the angel told them that Jesus had risen from the dead. Next thing that happens is they run back and tell the disciples, the 11. But the disciples don't believe what the women are telling them. Then the Lord appears to Peter. Luke just mentions that. He doesn't actually... um, 
tell us exactly what happened there, but the Lord appears to Peter, and Peter tells the others about it. So that's the second time now that they've heard that Jesus is risen from the dead. The third time happens in our gospel reading tonight when those two unnamed men who had been traveling to Emmaus after they discovered who Jesus was ran back to Jerusalem and told the disciples and everyone else who was still gathered in the upper room three times. And then our gospel reading tonight. Jesus himself appears to the disciples. And what's their reaction? They're scared out of their wits. I would say they still had a long ways to go in their faith development. But they got there. That's the point. Chapter 3 in the book of Acts, our first reading tonight, Peter boldly speaks to people who, who could have taken his life for what he was saying. That was less than two months after Easter. What happened? From being scared to being so bold. Pentecost happened. When the Holy Spirit filled the hearts and lives of those disciples, they were in that developing stage for a long time, but, but after Pentecost, their faith began to shine, and they became dazzling, which sounds something like what John tells us in our text. He said, when Jesus appears, we shall be like him. Now, of course, that's talking about when Jesus returns to take us to be with him forever. We won't be finished until then, but, but when we are finished we will be a sight to behold, dazzling even. But if, if dazzling means shiny, which I think works, doesn't it? Then I think there's a sense in which in a preliminary and imperfect way, that word can also be used to describe Jesus' disciples also in this life. We see that throughout the book of Acts where those disciples boldly and beautifully lived out their faith. And we can be dazzling too. As the light of Jesus' love shines on us and is reflected by us through the power of the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that came upon the first disciples at Pentecost. Now to be sure, we're, we're still diamonds in the rough, but in the hands of the master, we are beginning to be shaped and formed already. And the time is coming when we will be like Jesus is now, without sin. Perfectly in the image of the Father. Now exactly what all that means, we can't say yet. As John reminds us, what we will be has not yet appeared. This much we do know. It will be dazzling. We will be dazzling. All because of Jesus. Amen.